What's up, Victory? I said, what's up, Victory? Everywhere I go, I always start with a question. I've used it every time I've been here, but it just helps me to know what I'm dealing with and kind of the demographic of the room. So I'm going to ask it this morning. How many happy people do I have here? Excellent. Wave your hand and be happy. Kind of like your goofy cousin would. Good, good, good. How many of you got something to be happy about? How many of you glad you didn't get what you deserve? We'd all be doing a hurt dance if we got what we deserve, wouldn't we? But how many of you, that's why we're here. That's why we call it victory, is we actually get, if you serve God, you get better than you deserve. You get more than you deserve, amen? Wave your hand again and say, I know that's right. I'm so glad to be here. It's such a privilege. I told your pastor in his office beforehand, it excites me that I get to see him today because as he said, frequently he's gone when I'm here. That is as nice a tip of the cap that an itinerant such as myself will ever get is when a pastor says, I'm going to be gone, I trust you to bless my people. So I'm saying thank you to you uh, publicly and to each of you for giving me the privilege and the blessing to be able to come here and be with you this morning. Uh, How many of you can recognize there's a real thing happening in the Spirit this morning? Spirit of God's moving. The praise and worship was so wonderful. You know, the Israelites, when Caleb and Joshua died, they were kind of struck because they didn't know, who's going to lead us into battle now? Caleb and Joshua, the scripture says, were two in whom was the Spirit. And so they always led the Israelites into battle. You know, it was Caleb and Joshua who said, our God is well able. Let's go in and possess the land. But when they died, the people didn't know what to do. There were still battles to be fought. And so they went to the Lord and they said, who should lead us in? Who shall go first? Can't you imagine people around talking there in the leadership that who's going to go in and fight first? You bet somebody said, well... I just felt the voice in me say, Mitch should go. (laughs) Mitch, I'm sure it was God. I felt my baby jump within me when he said it. In fact, you should go. You should be first. Nobody wants to be first in the battle. You go on in there, we'll be behind you and support you with the whole team. And so they asked him, who should go first? And what did the Lord say? He said, Judah should go first. Why Judah? Because it means praise. God said essentially the same thing he has always said. Everybody look at me. God said, for I have already given the land into their hands. All God has ever looked for from you and I is what we've endeavored to lead you in this morning, and that is praise. When you praise, say this, anything. Say it with kind of a look of, you know, shock, anything. When you praise, anything can happen. Anything can happen, and that's why they've done this this morning. That's why we start our service with praise. It isn't because we don't know what to do with the first 20, 30 minutes of service. It's because we recognize praise is when healing takes place. Praise is when the spirit of joy that's within you gets stirred up. Praise is when you're able to get your mind off of your problems and get your eyes onto his answer. Amen? Uh, someone spoke to me as I came in this morning and and. and it prompted in me the idea of how God does everything. If you, I, I taught here once on Genesis 1. Actually, I've preached on Genesis 1 many, many times here because we find in Genesis 1 the fingerprint of God, how he does things, his character. He does everything. I wanted to divide the room. Everybody on this side of the room, let me hear you all say order. order. Everybody on this side of the room, let me hear you say and purpose. And purpose. God does everything. 
from the beginning, from creation to this day, everything God does has order and purpose. God never has flown by the seat of his pants. He has never said, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. He's never said, let's go to plan B because God does everything with order and purpose. And so as Christians, what we endeavor to do is to learn about God, to learn about his order and his purpose. It's called theology. It's the study of God, his order and his purposes for the world and for men and women. God has order and purpose for everything. God gave order and purpose to trees. How many of you here like to breathe? I'm, I'm hooked on it. Well, how many of you know oxygen don't come in a bottle? Oxygen comes from trees. And yet those same trees can give us seeds and fruit that we can eat. How many of you know there's some trees that don't bear seed or fruit that you can eat, but they still have? So if God gave order and purpose to a tree, if God gave order and purpose to animals, if God gave order and purpose to the sun, the moon, and the stars, how much more will he not give order and purpose to your life? And that's why many of you are here. That's what you've been looking for is order and purpose. Now, you may have looked for it in all the wrong places. I'm reminded when the women went to the tomb on the morning that Jesus had been resurrected and there were angels there that met them and don't you love what they said to them? They said, why are you here? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? For he is risen as he said to you. He's not here. I spent the early part of my life looking for life among the dead. How many of you here? That's your story too. Go ahead, all of you, raise your hands. Take your halo off. But what we were looking for was order and purpose. Order and purpose. And only God can give you that. And that's the study that we call theology. It's what I've been engaged in now for 43 years. I want to learn about him. I want to know of his order and purpose. How does it work? I'm, all the, I'm four decades in. There's still stuff I read that I go, what? Still things in Scripture that I read, I'm thinking, Shazam. That's crazy. There's still principles that I read that are of him, that I know of him. And why is that? It's because my carnal mind cannot adapt to these supernatural truths. What do I have to do? I have to change my mind. Everybody put your hand on your hip. Whenever I teach people or I talk about this, get kind of a sassy look, y'all. Ma'am, I couldn't help but notice you went straight from zero to sass and like, because she didn't just do this. Don't put your hand down. Now, go ahead. She put it up there. And brother, I don't know if you saw, she had that network and right from the start. Everybody put your hand on your hip. Say it. I've changed my mind. That's what God wants you to do. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit today is your idea of order and purpose. What does that mean? Now, if we're going to study God and we're going to study theology, then how many of you know we go to the next step and it's called Christology or Christology? In other words, the study of not just God, but of his son Jesus. As a person who's made a living with my mouth now for many, many years, I love words. 
I love this study of words called etymology. When you look at the origin of words, and what I really enjoy is not just the study of words, but of catchphrases. In other words, phrases that we use every day in slang. I love going back and saying, where did that come from? How many of you have ever heard this? That's a doozy. Where does that come from? It comes from an automobile. An automobile that was built in the early 1900s called a Duesenberg. And the Duesenberg exceeded every other automobile on the planet by light years. It was sort of, if you look, how many of you here are familiar with uh, Lamborghinis? You know, I mean, that, that's right up there with Italian technology. That's as good as it. That's right up there with tortellini and pasta. <laughs> Should we just take a knee on tortellini and pasta? I could, we, we could meditate on that a minute. But the Duesenberg was kind of like the merger of a Lamborghini and a Rolls Royce. They so far exceeded every other car on the planet. They were fast like a Lamborghini. They were luxurious like a Rolls Royce. In fact, last weekend, a 1929 Duesenberg sold for almost $3 million. It's a doozy. That's where the phrase came from. How many of you have ever heard this? Pull out all the stops. We need to pull out all the stops. Where does that come from? My favorite instrument, I'm a guitar player, my favorite instrument other than an electric guitar, really loud, is a Hammond B3 organ, really loud. If you don't think about the Hammond B3 organ, what gives it all of its sounds are some little drawbars that you can pull out. And every time you slide it out, and there's infinite adjustments, and there's many, many of them, every one of those changes the sound. But if you really want to go over the top, what do you do? You pull out all the stops. So there's some etymology of catchphrases we use. I want to talk about the etymology of two words that you hear every day. Christianity and the church. What is the etymology? What is the origin of what we call the church and Christianity? The church and Christianity. For me, our text, brother, if you'd put our text up, which is found in Matthew 16, verse 13 through 18. It says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? Now, why is this of significance? Because how many of you know Jesus did things that made people talk about him? You can bet people were talking about him everywhere he went. Everywhere he went, people were talking about him. And so he said, Who do people say that I am? Who do people say the Son of Man is? Next verse. Well, they replied, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Next verse. But then Jesus asked, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Everybody look at me. That is the question that's coming to your future. You and I individually are going to stand before the throne of God. And he's going to look you in the eye. And no one else will be there but you. And he's going to say, what about you? Who do you say that I am? You see, that is everything that your life is coming to. Who do you say that he is? Who do you say that I am? Now, if you look, Peter responded. And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. Next verse. To which Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father 
in heaven. I mean, oh, that's strong. If anything you've ever said, Jesus responded in that way, how many of you know you just said something significant? If Jesus looks at you and said, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, my Father in heaven gave that to you. Look at the next verse. And he said, I tell you, Peter, that it's on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. You see, Peter means rock, Petra. And so he said, upon that confession you've just made that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's upon this confession that I'm going to build. Remember I said I'm going to talk about the etymology of two things. First thing was church. You're here in what we call church. How many of you know we're not having church? How many of y'all understand that? How many know you're not at church? You're not in the church. We're not having church. If you think we're having church, you're at church or you're in church, you probably also think in a little while church will be over. (laughs) Some of you look like you're counting on that too. What does that mean? How many of you understand this building's not the church? As beautiful as this is, I remember when this was just a, a, a concept in your mind, brother. When you're meeting in that storefront and you've been two buildings to get to this, he shared with me years ago his vision to build this for your children. How many of you understand those children and that building you're building isn't for the church of tomorrow? That's the church of today, y'all. But as beautiful as this is, I was looking at your lighting. I was looking at your sound. I was listening to your praise and worship. Everything here, Jesus class. Let me hear y'all say, Jesus class. Say some swag. Y'all, let me hear y'all say Jesus class. I mean, as awesome as all this is, this isn't the church. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church upon a confession. You become the church not when you come here and join. How many of you know the Lord's not looking for members? Are you a member? How many of you know you can be a member of something and not really be involved? I pay my dues. Yeah, but we never see it. Well, I'm a member. The Lord's looking for disciples. It is, in fact, disciples who say, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. I said that I was going to talk about the etymology. Understand this. The very origin of the church was this confession. This was the cornerstone of what we call church. Now, what is a cornerstone? If you know anything about biblical history, Whenever they would build a building, you said they're going to pour the footings of your building this week, and you're excited about that. That's the foundation, correct? It's the beginning. The origin of any building that they would build in biblical times, they had a tremendous ceremony. And the ceremony was the placing of the cornerstone. The cornerstone was the first stone that was laid typically in the corner, literally, of of where two joints in the end of the foundation met. And it gave a plumb line, a straight line upon which the whole building would be built. The cornerstone was the first stone. They had a great ceremony when they did that. Parenthetically, let me tell you, when they got finished with the building, they had a huge ceremony because then they put in place the capstone, the final stone of this building. But the cornerstone was the crucial one. Understand this, the cornerstone of what we know as church was this confession. The church was built on the word of their confession. They overcame the the devil by the blood of the lamb and the what? The words of their testimony. Every knee will bow and every tongue will ultimately confess what Peter did. 
We will all stand before the throne. When he says, who do you say that I am? We will all say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Adolf Hitler, you pick the person in your world that's the worst. You pick the identity who seems to stand in great opposition to the things of God. Know this, that individual will confess what Peter did. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. That was the cornerstone. How many of you have ever heard the song, Jesus is the cornerstone? He is the cornerstone of Christianity. And you see, at the same time that Peter made this confession and the church morphed, the church metastasized, the church manifested in that moment, in his confession, so did Christianity. Christianity. Because now Christ has been identified you are the Christ that is when not only the church morphed into existence but the whole concept of Christianity Jesus is the Christ now if we're going to talk about Christology the study of Jesus we have to talk about who is he how many of you know he was in fact a person I mean I know there's popular belief out there that says oh no 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 he was a concept But he was, in fact, an individual, a real person who lived in the first century. And he stands out among anyone who's ever walked the earth because he was born of a virgin. Let me hear you say, imagine that. Born of a virgin. Conceived by the Holy Spirit. From the beginning, his life is different than anyone else who ever has walked on the planet. His birth was literally miraculous. His life Literally miraculous. The Bible says everywhere he went, he went about doing good. Now you may ask, well, what did he do? Well, he went to places where there were people who were lame, and when he left town, what were they doing? Walking. That's good. He came to town where there were people who were deaf. What were they doing when he left? They were listening. He came to town where there were people who were blind. What were they doing when he left? Seeing. He came to town where there were people who were dead. And what were they doing when he left? Living for Jesus. Living for Jesus. Everywhere he went, the miraculous. You see, what Jesus endeavored to do throughout his ministry was prove what Peter would ultimately say. I am the Son of God. I am the Christ. He didn't just say it, he walked it. He didn't just say it, he walked it. Now, how many of you know, he said some incredible things, didn't he? Y'all remember the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus? Actually, if you remember that story, if you remember them, you ought to share your testimony. How many of you have read that story? We learn if you study about Jesus, he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He would go to their house every time he was in their town, stay with them, hang out with them. And the Bible says he loved them. Now, we know he loved everybody, but he obviously had a very special relationship with them. And the Bible points this out. He loved them. You know the story? Lazarus gets sick. And while he's at death's door, his sister, Martha, sends a message and says, go tell Jesus that the one he loves is sick. Messenger goes, tells Jesus, what does Jesus do? By and large, nothing. 
just keeps going on with his day. And as a consequence, Lazarus dies. In fact, has been dead four days when Jesus comes walking back into town. Martha goes running out there to meet him. Didn't you get my text? I left you three voicemails. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, are you on Instagram or Twitter or any of those? I've never, ever been on any form of social media. And the explanation is simple. I don't need another way to disappoint people. I'm already slow on text and voicemail and returning calls, so I don't need any other way that I can disappoint people. And so she said, Did, didn't you get my way? And, and the Lord was like, hey, it's, it's going to be all right. How many of you ever have to tell somebody in your life that? It's going to be all right. She said, all right. She said, my brother is dead. Jesus said, he's just sleeping. She said, sleeping? She's been dead four days. She, her exact words, surely he stinketh. There may be somebody here going, that's my life verse right there. Surely he stinketh. She said, surely he stinketh. He said, no, no, no. Your brother's going to be resurrected. She said, well, I know he'll come in the resurrection. And Jesus said to her, I believe that would be John 14, 25. I am the resurrection. <gasps> Martha, I am. you looking at the resurrection. I don't talk about it. I am the resurrection. Where I go, people who are dead are now alive. Lazarus, come forth. Why did he call him by name? Yeah, if he hadn't, they'd all come out. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I should have been more specific. I'll be back for the rest of y'all. Just Laz is who I want to see right now. They'd all come out. Why? Because he is the resurrection. There's a difference in him. Everywhere he goes, people's lives are changed forever. He is the Christ. If you listen to the world, you talk about Jesus. Well, oh, Jesus is a great teacher. He's a great teacher. How I many of you they'll say that on the view? I mean, I've never heard him say that. Truth be told, I've never watched the view. But I bet you if you talk to them, there's something, oh, he's a great, he's right up there with Buddha and Gandhi. He's a great teacher. Have you noticed how anybody will acknowledge Jesus, Jesus was a great teacher? Because how many of you understand when they acknowledge that, what they're really doing is belittling him? Oh, certainly he's the greatest teacher. I may have told you all this story. I went to Georgia State University in my undergraduate degree. Uh, it was one beautiful summer day. I came out in the plaza area, two, 3,000 people out there. They usually had bands play. Uh, you ever been in a big group of people? You just don't want to talk to anybody? I mean, it's kind of a dichotomy. I wanted to be with everybody. I just didn't want to talk to anybody. But there was a guy who obviously had a different attitude than me because he was so close to me. I mean, I could tell he wanted to talk because I could feel his breath on my neck. <laughs> and he was entirely too exuberant. How you doing? I said, I'm fine. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm glad to hear it. And he said, I just wanted to talk to you. I said, I perceive that. And he said, I wanted to talk to you about Jesus. And I went, oh. oh. I said, well, hey, that's great. I said, well, what did you want to tell me about Jesus? 
And I knew as soon as I said that, I kind of threw him off script. And I said, let me ask you this. I said, you want to talk about Jesus? I said, what do you think is the most important thing about Jesus' life? What did Jesus embody that was the It set him aside. He said, oh, he's a great teacher. I said, I agree. He was the best. But I said, that isn't what Jesus said he was. Kind of looked at me. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, that isn't what Jesus never said that that was his deal, to be a great teacher. Strike one. I said, you want to take another shot? What do you think is the most important thing Jesus ever did? What did he say was the reason he came? He said, well, to make the world a better place. Well, you can tell here he was, he swang at a pitch in the dirt there on that one. That wasn't even close. And I said, well, it, it clearly, if you once were blind and now you can see, the world's a better place for you. If you were deaf and now you hear, the world's a better place. But I said, that isn't why Jesus said he came. I said, two strikes. I said, what would be your third thing? He said, well, it helps people to be their best. Hard to argue with that. But I said, none of that is why Jesus said he came. I said, Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he has come that we might have life, Zoe. Let me hear y'all say, Zoe. How many of you know Zoe is the life of God? He said, I've come that you might have what? Zoe. The answer I'm looking for here, church, is Zoe. I'm just pitching underhanded. Let's try it again. He said, I've come that you might have Zoe, the life of God. Not just life. Your parents gave you that, but it included death. I'm going to give you life. Though you die, yet you live. That's why Christianity is so important. That's what marks Jesus and sets him aside from anyone else who ever has walked the planet because he and he alone can not only give order and purpose to your life, but though you die, yet you shall live. Say it, Zoe. Say it and kind of shake your head. Say, Zoe. Let me hear the middle section. Y'all can do better. Let's try it again on three. One, two, three. How about y'all? Y'all know the gig. Sound booth? Zoe. He came that we might have Zoe, the life of God. He doesn't just give order and purpose to your life. He just doesn't deliver you from your past. How many of you have been tired of dragging your past everywhere you go? Remember them days? Wherever you you went, you had to carry this burden of your past. How many of you know when he comes in your life, that's the order and purpose he gives. He delivers you. He jettisons you from your past. Come on, y'all. Let me all say, that's good. Y'all know how you're supposed to say it like Andy Griffith. Let me all say, that's good. Jesus said, I am the way. How about this? Pretty shocking deal here. He said, nobody comes to the Father but through me. Have you noticed that's why people don't want to acknowledge Jesus as anything other than a great teacher is because when he says no one comes to the Father but through me, that's insensitive. That's discriminatory. That's offensive. Where's my safe space? I need a safe space. How many of you know he came not to make you comfortable? 
This is what bothers the world when you talk about Jesus. He said things that made him uncomfortable. I'm the only way. He said, I'm the only gate that gets you in the pen. People would like to believe there's many ways. There are preachers out there that will tell you there's many ways to get to God. I don't care what they say. All that matters is what he said. The cornerstone said, only way you get to him, through me. Mine is the only name. Let me hear y'all say, that's what he said. Let me hear y'all say, that's what he said. Say, I heard what he said. And I like what he said. Say it, I heard what he said. I like what he said. Now do this, say, what he says, that's what I say. How many of you know that could change your life right there? That needs to be your lifestyle. Whatever he says, hear it and then say it. See, if you've wondered, how can I go from being a victim? How many of you, there are many people out there who all they've ever known, their only identity has been that of victim. And it's legit. I mean, they got a portfolio. Some of them have color brochures. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. But I have a color brochure. Just read it and weep. Go to my website and you'll see what all I've been a victim of. Everybody wants to talk today about how they've been victimized. They've been wrong. Someone owes me an apology. How many of you here know somebody? Because clearly it's none of you. But how many of you know somebody? who consistently needs an apology. Why? Because they have a mindset of victim. I'm a victim. And there are people out there who speak to real victims but want to keep them there. Jesus came to deliver you from your past. He came to deliver you from being a victim and make you a victor. Come on, say it. I heard what he said. What he says, that's what I say. See, that's how your life can change. That's how you can go from being a victim to a victor. Now, I got to say this to you. Everybody look at me. Everybody in this room today got up and you're one or the other. You're the victim or you're a victor. You either have the mindset of a victim or a victor. You went to bed thinking that way. You got up this morning thinking that way. You're listening to me right now, interpreting what I just said based on whether you see yourself as a victim or a victor. Without a doubt, you're one or the other. Let me tell you what you will never be. Both. Come on, y'all. you one or the other. But what allows you to move from victim status to victor status? When you say you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That becomes your cornerstone upon which you build the rest of your life. You go from being the the tail to being the head, to being beneath to above, to walking in blessed and going out blessed, laying down blessed, getting up blessed. Blessed whether you're in town or in the country. Where are we? Doesn't matter. I'm blessed. I always teach people this way and I'll close with this. Everybody look at your hands. Put them out there in front of you so you can see them. Look at both sides of them. Say this to yourself. I got blessed hands. How many of you know victims never say that? 
but you just did. You must be a victor. Look at your hands again. Say, I got blessed hands. Show your hands to your neighbor. Say, look at these hands. Blessed hands. Say this. Say, everything I touch, everything I touch prospers. Now look at your feet. I'm going to give you a minute because some of y'all are going to have to look longer than others. At least some of you can look at fashionable feet. Point at your feet. Say, I got blessed feet. Say, everywhere I put my feet, God gives that ground to me. Because of who you are, but because of who he is. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. When you hear what he said, when you hear what Peter said, and you echo that in your life, when you get up every day and your confession is his the Christ, he is the Son of the living God. The foundation, the cornerstone of your life is set in place and there's not enough demons in hell to tear it down. You don't have enough in-laws to mess it up. <laughs> Bow your heads, close your eyes. I got more, but that's enough. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Is it something that in this time of COVID, that's what the whole world's been looking for, a way. Find us a way. The finest medical minds have been working to find a way to get rid of this. Somebody's been looking for the truth. Where did this come from? How can we deal with it? Will vaccination make us safe? Do we need to wear a mask? Do we need to shut down church and keep open strip clubs? What must we do? Everybody wants the truth. One thing's for sure, everybody wants to be alive. We're washing our hands, y'all. You know we want to be alive. Well, Jesus said, I'm all that. You see, everything he said was radical. And every way he lived was radical. He loved the unlovely. The least desirable he was attracted to. And to all those who said, I can't, he said, you will. That's what he's saying to each of you today. To those of you who have felt like no one's ever loved me. All my life I've been a victim. All I've ever known is hardship. A 10-step program won't help you. A 10-step program can't change your life. Let me tell you what will. When you make the confession, Peter did. You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I got to believe simply because I remember going to church when I was lost. I bet I wasn't the only one. I sat week after week listening to messages totally lost, still looking for the living among the dead. There's a high likelihood there's someone here this morning the same way. See, going to church ain't going to get you to heaven. Owning a Bible won't get you to heaven. Having your name in gold on the cover won't get you to heaven. The only way you'll get there is if you've made the confession that Peter made. If you acknowledged, my life is broken and I can't fix it. See, that's why Jesus came to make right everything the devil made wrong in your life. If you're here today and you've never made that confession, if you've never said out loud, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, come into my heart and change me. If you've never said that, this entire service, this incredible day that we've had today so far, is for you.
And this is your opportunity. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you stand up or come to the front. I'm going to pray for you right where you're seated. But if you're here this morning and you feel the Spirit of God knocking on your heart and you're ready to say, you are the Christ. If you're ready to ask Jesus in your heart, I want you to do something simple right where you're seated. Just raise your hand. Do it now. And do it quickly. I just want to pray with you. Just raise it high enough where I can see it and I just want to pray with you. If that's you, just raise it and do it now. I'm only going to wait a minute because you know if that's you. You know if this was for you. If it is, this is your opportunity. Respond now. Do it in the name of Jesus. If not, then you were the perfect demographic for what I ministered on this morning. Because every one of you here have a heart heart knowledge of what it means to say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Be the cornerstone of my life. Be the cornerstone of Be the order, the purpose, the zoe. Father, I just pray that you would add your blessing to your word this morning. Father, I pray that what I've shared will be sown into their heart in such a way that it cannot be robbed from them or taken from them. Allow them to meditate on these truths this week, I pray. And let the revelation knowledge of your word come alive in their heart, I pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.